My name's Chris Lane, married to Fliz. Had the great privilege of starting this church with our family 27 years ago in a group, just like Tim and Steph's actually. Just started with a, a connect group. We called them kinships then. But uh, just started like that. And look at us now, my gosh. Well, let me pray and then we'll get straight into God's word. Father God, I want to say thank you to you for this opportunity. Thank you for this, this juncture, this season. Thank you, Lord God. All, of, all that we have, all that we are, is as a result of your love, your sacrifice, and your faithfulness. And Lord God, you have seen us through tough times and great times. You've seen us through difficult times, and you've seen us through wonderful times. And Lord God, your love remains constant, and your power, Lord God, is, stre- is strength itself. You are the source of all power and authority. And so we pray now that as, as I share your word and as I speak of the story so far and where we think we're going, that Lord God, you would raise our eyes to expect more, not just of you, but of ourselves too. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This is the launch talk to our growing family campaign, phase two. And phase two is essentially... You know, turning that space next door into a place where Jesus can be seen to reign. Now, Jesus does reign whether we see him or not. But there is something about places where the presence of God sort of come and inhabit that just makes them special. And if that one doesn't sort of connect with you, you know, uh, just think back over, over that which we know about Jesus. You know, the stable in Bethlehem, that became a holy place. One minute, it was just, you know, a working place full of cattle and sheep and and fodder and the rest of it, but suddenly it became a holy place. That's what we prayed about this place when we we, uh, first bought it. It was just a huge, great barn of a warehouse. It used to be an Audi VW prep shop, and, you know, it wasn't in the worst of condition. We'd seen worse, but that's what it was. But somehow, you know, by the grace of God, God enabled us to take this place on. We bought it and uh, turned it into a space, a place where Jesus is glorified, where we're not ashamed to mention the name of Jesus. Now, under his prompting, in response to the vision he has given us, we've bought the place next door. But that space needs to be turned into a place where we can worship Jesus, where we can do the things of the kingdom. And so we, we look forward to that, and we're responding to God in all of that. And as I've been thinking and praying about this, I, I, I've been challenged personally, because to be perfectly honest with you, first of myself, I've been doing this quite a while now, and there are certain aspects uh, whereby we're feeling, we're, t- we're feeling tired. You know, we, we just sort of think, oh my gosh, we've got to go again, you know. I know that four years ago, when the Lord start, started to put it on our heart to buy one of these adjacent uh, warehouses, various of you were coming up to me, and various, you know, various uh, team members and staff members were coming up, and I just wanted to go, I just wanted to stick my finger in my ears and go, nah, 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 I just didn't want to do it, because I knew what it would cost us. I knew the challenge. I knew how it would unsettle us. It would call us out upon the water like that song we just sung. I'm like, oh gosh, again, I don't know whether we can do it again. But as I've thought about that, and as I've been thinking and praying about this, I've realized that I'm, I'm all too quick to settle for normal Christianity. I'm all too quick to settle for less than God wants to do. I was reminded actually of a little story. I've told 
before, some of you may remember it, but a good friend of mine, David Payne, is a Roman Catholic. He used to be uh, based at the pastoral center down there in London Colney. And one day he rang me up and he was in a bit of a flap. He said, Chris, I've just had this uh, Tanzanian bishop turn up, Bishop Joseph, and I've, I've been told I've got to look after him for an hour or you know, for an afternoon or so. I don't know what to do with him. Look, could you grab a few people to come down here and we'll do a sort of Q&A and maybe get him to tell his story a bit? And I said, Dave, uh, uh, well, he was a mate. I, oh, okay, fine. So we made a few phone calls. We ended up down there at the pastoral center. There was probably maybe 15 of us in the end, you know, local leaders and things, all sort of doing Dave a favor, turning up, and there was this dear Tanzanian bishop, Bishop Joseph, sweet man. And we had a bit of worship and stuff like that, and then we sort of settled down, and he was gonna start talking. It was kind of like, if you can, it was felt like round a fireside type of thing, you know, it was like an hour with dad or something. And anyway, he begins this sort of little presentation, this talk, call it what, this conversation, he said, you know, I'm tired of normal Christianity. And we went, I see some of you doing it now, one or two people are nodding there. You know. He said, I'm tired of normal Christianity. And we went, hmm, yeah. And we're all sort of thinking about what normal means to us. And then he says a third time, I'm tired of normal Christianity. You know, healing the sick and raising the dead and you know, planting churches, you know, it's all so predictable. And we go, ooh. <laughs> His normal isn't my normal. His normal certainly wasn't my normal. I mean, what was normal? And what is normal Christianity in the 21st century in the UK? Normal Christianity, I have to say, and I see it in myself, is wanting to blend in. But wanting, wanting to make it so personal that it actually doesn't, you know, it's just a private thing. It doesn't need to get out there or be out there or do anything. It doesn't need to confront anyone. It doesn't need to challenge anyone. It doesn't even need to comfort anyone. It doesn't need to, to love anyone. It's just a personal thing. You know, I have a personal faith. It's a desire to blend in. You know, I was trained and ordained as an Anglican priest, as many of you know, years and years and years ago. And at that time, I don't think people still call it that, but at that time, it was, genuinely, it was generally said that the Anglican church, the church that I was a part of at that time, was the Tory party at prayer. You know, so conservative, so safe, so... And there is something in me, and I confess this before you brothers and sisters, that, that wants the quiet life. But the reality is... That's not, that's not the Christianity we see in, in the New Testament. That's not the Christianity we see in the Acts of the Apostles. I mean, a few weeks ago, the team preached on the Acts of the Apostles. That is not what founded this great world religion that even now is growing faster than any other world religion. That's, that kind of Christianity is, is walking to another drum. It's not the blending in, keep it safe, keep it simple, keep it me, keep it down, keep it in, keep it whatever, but don't let it get out there. God forbid that it should get out there. But you know what Jesus himself said, and I'm running ahead of myself slightly, so I need to be careful, but Jesus himself said, you know what? You're gonna do greater things than I. You're gonna do greater things than I. That's his vision for us. 
2011, I came back from a, a sabbatical. Seems like a long time ago now. That seems a long way away. But when I came back, there was a number of verses. I'd studied my scripture during my sabbatical, and a number of passages had come alive to me. And one passage in particular, Ephesians 3, 20 uh, and, and uh, 21, uh, were, were just kind of really sort of you know, bubbling up there, challenging me, exciting me too, if I'm honest. And when I came back, I was amazed to discover that at least half the team in different situations and different circumstances and for different reasons had, has kind of found themselves kind of gathering around the same verse. So when I said, you know, Ephesians 3, 20 and 21 really kind of grabbed me, they said, well, yeah, grabbed us too. And with that, we began to realize that God was beginning to do something, was actually beginning to press us about some new thing. And that verse is this, Ephesians 3, 20 to 21. Now to him, that is God, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever, amen. God is able. Actually, God is willing and able to do far more than we even ask or imagine. Now, I don't know about you, but I've got quite a good imagination. I can imagine myself in all sorts of situations. God is able to do far more than that. Imagine some mighty work that you might set your, your heart and mind and resources to. God is able to do far more than that. Now, that is not a reproach. That verse is meant to be an encouragement to his church. Come on, guys. Let's raise our game. Let's expect more from God because God is able. God is able. Don't settle for less. Don't settle for 21st century UK Christianity. Don't settle with just blending in. Let's raise that game. And so with that, exciting, challenging, and slightly, if I'm honest, uncomfortable couple of verses, we began to seek God's face and pray. We began to ask him about what he might be doing. In fact, recently I came across this passage, and we're just going to spend a few moments looking at it in uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, whereby God, through the apostle Paul, prays an amazing blessing. Let's just look at that, and I'll unpack it. Let me not sort of run ahead of myself. I'm going to read it out of the scriptures here. So Paul is talking through this letter to the Thessalonian church. That was, a pretty, that was a pretty fun church. It was an exciting church. It was actually a church that had had to learn its faith the hard way. They didn't have it easy. They had persecutions. They, 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 they had difficulties. They had conflict. The society that they were in in Thessalonica was, was not one that was particularly favorable to Christianity right from the start partly because they were all servants and slaves and there was a great hostility towards this new religion. But they, they pushed on through. They, they, they took you know, two steps back and then they'd struggle three forward. And then it, it was a struggle, but they, it's a history of perseverance and grace and mercy. And Paul kind of praised this blessing upon them as part of this introduction in this letter. And it says this, with this in mind, and you'll have to read this afternoon, I'm not going to do the back homework for you. With this in mind, says Paul to the Thessalonians, we constantly pray for you. Here's the Apostle Paul praying about this young church. We constantly pray for you. I thank God for those who constantly pray for us. 
I thank God for our watchman ministry. But, you know, as you pray for us, we thank God as we constantly pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling, first point, and that by his power he may bring to fruition every desire for goodness, second point, and you and your every deed prompted by faith that that might be brought to fruition, third point. The first thing that Paul is praying and blessing these people with is that, that we might fulfill our calling. Now, to be perfectly honest with you, when I went away in 2011 on my sabbatical, I went to, did a number of things, lots of things Fliss and I did together, some of the things we did on our own, but on one of my trips away on my own, you know, uh, 2011 was a good year. We, were, we had enjoyed a jolly good run. We'd been in this place probably at that point seven or eight years, and, and, and honestly, the ministry as it is today was just forging ahead. And it was difficult not to feel... Um, a little complacent. Uh, I don't mean that in, in an untoward. I, I, we weren't complacent, but it was difficult not to because everything seemed to be going up and to the right. Of course, the recession was about to really bite for us. The recession began in 20, 2009, but for a time we seemed to be, you know, balking that. But in the midst of all of that, in the midst of all of that, it seemed like, you know, God started speaking about, about the greater things. God calling us on to more than we have now. And so Paul's first prayer for the Thessalonians, and, and I, I say my first prayer for us, is that they would fulfill every part of what God had in mind for them. You see, God has something in mind for you as individuals. Check it out in the early chapter two of Ephesians. But he has a mind for each and every church. And no matter how good this may look on the outside, and on the inside even, there is something that God has in mind. And you know what? And I'm sure many of you will nod with me on this. When we get to heaven, I want to know that the St. Albans Vineyard in the 21st century, and on our watch, if I can use that language, fulfills every part of what God has in mind for it. Don't you? I don't want to get to heaven and say, he did that, we did that, we did that, we did that. Not that we would, it's not in our nature, but just bear with me, play with me. We did that, we did with that, we did that. And then God said, yeah, but you didn't do that. And you missed out on that. You know, when the angels are applauding the saints as they march through the pearly gates with their banners and, you know, play with me, you know, and there'll be Ashley Road Church, just a little pre-evangelical church coming through, and the, the crowd will go wild, yay! And there'll be St. Paul's Hatfield Road, yay! And there'll be Forest Town Church, yay! And Fliss and I are going out of Forest Town after this, it's their eighth celebration, and we're going to have lunch with them, aren't we, straight after this service. There'll be St. Luke's Selbarns Lane. Yay! There'll be Vineyard. <laughs> There'll be City Church. Yay! God forbid that that's the experience. A cough in heaven. Can you have a cough in heaven? Maybe a clearing of the throat. Oh, God, you know? Oh, God. You know, when my kids were at school, when they were at primary school, they used to have sports day. I always used to love that. And I always used to t teach them. I used to say, run through the line. Run through the line on sports day. Because all too often, you probably saw it too. You know, there'd be little kids, and they'd run, and they'd be in the lead like that, looking behind. And then there'd be this piece of string, and they'd go right up to the line and go like that. But they don't actually break it. They don't go through. 
God forbid that we don't break through that line. That's my fear and that's the challenge. Whatever God has in mind, and he has a wonderful imagination, whatever God has in mind for us, that's what I want to press on to try and take hold of. That's what I want to see actualized. Anybody want to say amen? amen? Thank you. Thank you. So the first thing is this call. The second thing here that Paul prays for the Thessalonians is that by God's power, he will bring to pass in us every, every desire we have for godliness and goodness. Now this year we began with a kind of a signature uh, statement. We want to press on as we press in. Yeah, there's things to do. We want to get on with that. But we want to press into God. In fact, the founder of our movement, late John Wimber, he's, he wrote a book saying the way on, the, the way in is the way on. You know, drawing close to God, getting into God, going deeper into God is the way to sort of make, make you know, make, put some miles under your belt in terms of what you accomplish in the, king, in the kingdom. And I, I, I want us to be that. I, I want us to be a, a people who, who presses into God. Paul said of the Thessalonians in another, another chapter, he said in, in, in 1 Corinthians 8, I think, he said of them, you know, when it came to the great offering that was asked of the Christian church for, for the saints in Jerusalem that were suffering at a great famine, they sort of put this worldwide sort of request for help, for relief help. He said of the Thessalonians, he said, you know what, they did what we didn't quite expect them to do. They gave themselves first to God and then to the offering. You know, they just didn't sort of, you know, put a hand in their pocket. They gave themselves first to God. And we as a people here in Auburn's Vineyard, you know, we've got to be those that press into God. Whatever else is going on, we've got to press on in to know God more, to get into the very heart of God, the very mind of God. And of course, we do that through our word, through studying God's word. We do that through our connect groups. We do that through Equip, which we're doing on starting on Tuesday, you know, these discipleship training courses we do. We do it through worship. We, we do it any which way we can. We just want to get into God, to know him more and be known by him. And as we press in, so we can press on. So Paul says of the Thessalonians, my blessing, my prayer for you is, yep, that you'll fulfill every iota of your calling that you will be blessed in your attempts to know God more and to press on into his presence. And then he says this last thing. He says that God would empower you so that you may complete and succeed in every good deed that you attempt prompted by your faith. Every good deed prompted by your faith. And we're in that place. This junction, part of our story, phase two, you know, that's part of our, our, our response to the love of God. It's part of the response that we have to God whispering to us in 2011. It's part of our, as we sought his, his face, as we prayed, we did a whole summer of prayer last year, uh, you know, looking at the whole growing family vision and what have you, and praying into that. It, it, our response is, okay, God, so you, 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 you're serious about this? We need to make more space? We need to make a space? that becomes a place where Jesus can reign. Okay, we got it, right? Okay, fine. That's the next step for us. Okay, that's good. So as we've sought God in all of that, 
I am encouraged that Paul, 2,000 years ago, was praying the sort of prayer we might pray for ourselves, that God would fulfill in us everything that we dream of doing in his name. In fact, I want to pray that now. I just want to, before I sort of wind the thing up, why don't we just stand? I'm going to pray this blessing over us all on this phase two launch day. So just bow your heads and I'll pray a blessing over you, just based on the scripture. So I'm praying this, I'm using the scripture, so I'm going to pray straight out of 2 Thessalonians. Lord God, we thank you for your love, your grace, and your mercy towards us. Thank you, Lord God. Thank you that you call us by name, each and every one of us. You know us, you love us, and you've died for us. And Lord God, as a people gathered here today, as your vineyard church here in the 21st century, here in St. Albans, we pray, Lord God, that we would be found worthy of your calling, that we would not bulk, draw back, or despise the calling of God, that we would embrace the calling of God, whatever and wherever that takes us. And secondly, Lord God, I pray that you would empower us in our heart's felt desire to know you better. Lord God, as we want to know God, as we want to get into God, as we want to grow in God, in all of these aspects, Lord God, Lord, would you grant us the power, the blessing, to see that worked out in us? And then thirdly, as Paul prayed for the Thessalonians, Lord God, would you empower us to do the work of the ministry? Would you empower us to do that which you've called us to do? Would you give us the resources to complete every deed, everything that we've done as a result of our faith in you? And we pray that in all of this, in all of this, Jesus would be lifted up and glorified. And everyone said, Amen. Thank you for working with me there, guys. Sit down. Gosh, I sense God's presence. Thank you. So this, this vision that we had, you know, just to, you know, if you were here a year ago, of course you'll know all about this, but, you know, over 200 people have joined us in the last year, and this may not be familiar to you, but, but it really began to come together to, you know, to buy one of these properties, and as it happened, we bought the one next door. It really began to, began to come together when we, when we sort of began praying into Isaiah 54. Let's just throw that up, thanks, Matt. Isaiah 54, verses two and three, and some of you may be overly familiar with this because we've tended to mention it at every available opportunity, but Isaiah 54, verse two, was very important to us, and still is. It says, enlarge the place of your tent, Stretch your tent curtains wide. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords. Strengthen your stakes. For you will spread out to the right and to the left. Your descendants will dispossess nations and settle in their desolate cities. Can we go back to the previous screen, Matt? Thank you. Enlarge the place of your tent. Stretch your tent curtains wide. Do not hold back. Do you know what? That was really a word for me. It may have been a word for you. It may have been a word for us the people, but... But three, three years ago, I was wanting to hold back. I just didn't know whether I had it in me to do another sort of whole big capital campaign. I was pretty spent, pretty done. This lot had taken it out of me. But it seemed like the Lord keep, kept saying, do not hold back, Chris. 
do not say, well, I've done my bit now, you know, it's up to the, the young uns, let the young uns have a go at it, you know. Was that, that's my best Yorkshire accent, I don't think it sounded, it sounded more like Mandarin than, than Yorkshire, but there you go. It was a challenge to me. Chris, you're not dead, so you're not done. Whoops, that's pretty, <laughs> pretty blunt, isn't it? You're not dead, so you're not done. And so suddenly I'm finding myself, oh my giddy, aren't you mean? Oh no. Do not hold back, Chris. This is a time to lengthen your course, strengthen your stakes. On to the next screen. Thank you, Matt. For you will spread out, you will spread out to the right and to the left. And your descendants will dispossess nations and settle in their desolate cities. And that last little bit, the descendants, we leave it in there because actually creating this space is not just a place to admire and sit back and Google at, and go, and go and Google at. It's a, it's a ministry center where we will send people out to plant churches, where the sick will come and be healed, and where the poor will be cared for. That's God's passion. That's God's excitement. You know, the normal Christian life, at risk of overstressing it, is one that is full of risk and full of challenge. And in this life, we're not meant to be comfortable. And Jesus said, you will not be comfortable if you walk this path with me. I was not comfortable, therefore you will not be comfortable. However, says Jesus, fear not. Don't be afraid because I have overcome the world. And my peace I give you. A peace that passes understanding. A peace that the world cannot comprehend. And even the best holiday you've ever had, the most fun time you've ever had on holiday, well, I don't know what the, you know, maybe the day you got married was the best day of your life, the best day of your life, actually the joy, the peace, the joy, the excitement of the best day of your life, whatever that was, many years ago or just yesterday, nothing, nothing can compare to the peace of God, something that we carry with us through high days and holidays, something that we carry through us in the most difficult and testing of times. And Fliss and I have had our share of those. The peace of God which passes all understanding is a prize that should not be, should not be sort of put down. Truthfully, walking with Jesus, knowing his, his presence in your life is beyond joy. It takes us on into eternity. So, Following that, we begin to look at the ministry of Jesus, making sure that what we're doing is aligned with what he did. You know, when you, when you get a vision, when you begin to hatch a vision, it's always important to, to, to as, a, as if it were a template, lay it on the scripture or let the scripture lay on it, whichever way you like to do it, I don't care. But does it fall into that wonderful remit that the Son of God himself had? Well, let's look at Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter four, verses 18 and 19. The spirit of the Lord is upon me, says Jesus, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. I want to proclaim to you, and we as a church want to proclaim to this community, this city, this region, and yes, this nation, that this is the year of the Lord's favor. 
God is in his house. God is at work in the world. And what you can find in Jesus is a peace that passes all understanding. And this is for all and sundry, not just the chosen few, not just the privileged and powerful, but for the poor and the dispossessed. The wonderful thing, the thing that still excites me and other aspects of this may may excite you. But when you look at this this phase two architect drawing at the last couple of pages, let me just pull that out. You know, the amount of space designated to our compassion ministry, our feed ministries, it's actually in the majority. We're 54%, or is it 58%, Rich? I can't remember. 54% of the building is designated specifically for our feed ministry. You know, I don't, I'm gonna sort of brag on you for a moment. This time. You know, this time last year, we launched this vision. And at that point, the challenge was to buy the place. You can't do anything with it if you don't own it. And you guys, those of you who were there then, and many of you joined since, you guys raised three quarters of a million pounds. Three quarters of a million pounds. I'm looking out and I'm seeing faces, people who emailed me, people who made sacrifices, people who went without a holiday that year in order to give to that. And what was this for? Was it so that we could put in a kind of a sauna and a whirlpool thing and hire people to come and give you sort of nice pedicures when you're sort of feeling a bit rough? No. This was to buy a warehouse where Jesus could be glorified in the lives of the poor. My gosh. We ought to get a whole host of journalists down here. That is remarkable that a community our size should in a short, you know, there wasn't a, as I said before, there wasn't a single cupcake sold, you know, nothing against cupcakes or you selling them and giving the money to the church. But, but that was through direct sacrificial giving. That's wonderful. That heart of compassion that, that, that we saw in you, in us, demonstrated. And yet, we now have, we've bought that place. We have it. Praise God. Give the Lord a clap. Somebody try to clap then. And I look at this thing, and I'm excited, and I hope you'll get home. You know, it is up on the board at the back there, but just take this home and you know, spend, get a cup of coffee and sit down and have a look at this. I mean, the first thing when I saw these architects' plans that really struck me was that this isn't going to be like, oh, yeah, the warehouse next door or like a conservatory or something tacked on the side of this building. This turns this whole building on its head, and the two become one. And as the architect said to me, bless his heart, unwarranted, unprompted, he says, you know what, when this is finished, it's gonna be a very nice building. And it's gonna be a very nice building that takes kids seriously. It's gonna be a very nice building that takes youth seriously. It's gonna be a very nice building that takes training and equipping seriously. It's gonna be a very nice building that takes the worship of God and the prayer ministry and the restoral ministries seriously. And it's gonna be a very nice building that takes this community and the poor seriously. And I love that. Because when I look at Luke 4, as we did a moment ago, and I look at the ministry of Jesus, good news for the poor, for the dispossessed, everybody's welcome at the Father's table. 
So God calls us on to, to greater things. No time for patting one another on the back just yet. Let's let the angels do that later. May we enter at glory with a cheer, not with a... <laughs> God forbid. The last verse I want to share with you. I've mentioned the greater things a few times. But Jesus himself said, we will do greater things. We will do greater things. I've often puzzled about this. Let's just look at the verse. John chapter 14, 12 and 13. Thank you, Matt. Very truly, Jesus says, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing. You know what? We've been trying to do that. We pray for the sick. We see them healed. We see people set free from addictions. We preach the gospel. We see people saved. I don't know who will get saved today. Maybe it's your turn. But last week, I was teaching on tithing if you were here had people come down and get saved. So it's wonderful. They gave their lives to Jesus. First step of faith. Wonderful. You will do the things I've been doing, says Jesus. But he goes on to say this, and they will do even greater things than these. Even greater things, because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. The Father is absolutely determined to glorify Jesus to win a fabulous reputation for his son Jesus. He's won it in heaven, now we don't want to see it on earth. Those Christians see how they love one another. Those Christians see how they care for the poor. Those Christians see how they're at work in the world. John Wimber used to tell this story about being picked up at JFK Airport in the States. John Wimber, founder of our movement. And uh, his taxi driver was a very, very, very talkative Iranian guy. Driving into wherever he, the hotel he was staying, he was going to be speaking at a conference. And anyway, this guy talked and talked and talked and talked and talked, you know, lots of colorful language, shall I say. Anyway, suddenly, without taking a breath, he bounces this question at John. He says, what are you doing here then? And John said, oh, uh, oh, me, oh right, uh, yeah, uh, I'm here to talk at a conference. What kind of conference is that? And John told him it was a Christian conference. And it was, uh, before he could even get it, like, oh, he, he launched into something. About the church, about, about Islam, about faith, about religion. It was not pleasant to hear. Not pleasant to hear. And when the guy caught breath, as they were drawing up to the hotel, John said to him, tell me, my friend, let me, let me ask you a question. I'm a Christian pastor. I, you know, that's what I am. Tell me. What kind of church would appeal to you? And it's as if the question kind of completely, this bloke hadn't stopped talking from JFK to the hotel. And the bloke thought for a minute. He said, well, yeah. Okay. First of all, they got to do what's in the book. John said, right, great. Then he said, yeah, and they've got to live holy lives. And John said, got it. And there's a long pause, and John's about to get out of the car. He says, oh, yeah, and they've got to take care of the poor. Well, from a foul-mouthed New York taxi driver who hadn't got a good word to say about the church, much less other religions, that's not a bad manifesto, is it? Do what it says in the book. Live holy lives. Take care of the poor. Sounds a bit to me 
like Paul when he was checked out by the apostles in Jerusalem. Paul, as many of you will know, the apostle Paul, much of the New Testament, after his conversion, he disappeared into obscurity for about 17 years. And then he was summoned. When he started his ministry, he was summoned by the elders in Jerusalem. He went there and he put his case. He told them about his conversion. He told them about the ministry he was doing amongst the Gentiles, not the Jews. They listened intently, and at the end of it said, great, carry on doing it, bro. You have our blessing, but take care of the poor. Take care of the poor. Do you know the first, hosp- the, the first orphanages in Europe were started by Christian missionaries? The first people to take, take care of widows were, the, were Christian monks and nuns. The first people to take care of the poor in a concerted intentional way were Christians. Christianity has this huge heritage of taking care of the dispossessed, the disadvantaged, those on the fringe. It's part of who we are. When Jesus says, you will do greater things than I, I've kind of wondered often, as many have, what does that mean? Does that mean we'll not just raise people from the dead, but we'll raise goldfish and donkeys too? Or does it mean, you know, that we'll heal people in extraordinary numbers? Well, yes, it does. But what I think he means is that we, as his church, will model, will live out, will establish the kingdom of God here on earth. One man can't do that. One man and 12 disciples can't do that. But an army of believers can change society, can model to people what it is to be a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, can impact not just a community, not just a city, but a nation And that's the kind of thing that God's calling us to. This phase two thing, it looks like a mountain to me, but I have no doubt that I will share that mountaintop with you at some point. At the moment, I'm at the foot of it. Oh my gosh, half a million pounds, that's what we're gonna need. More of that next week. So you may not like to come next week, okay? (laughs) Good day to go to the gym. But the truth of the matter is this. As Christians the world over turn spaces into places where Jesus is seen to reign, we will see this world transformed. We're not called to blend in, to be inconspicuous. We're called to change the world. I can't promise you over the next couple of years that it's going to be Comfortable and easy here. Things may get a little messy. Things may get a little messy. But the stakes are high. We're talking about Jesus, his reputation. We're talking about our kids. I don't want our kids to be told to blend in. I don't want the dreams to be beaten out of our youth. I don't want the poor to go along feeling disconnected as if they have no place and part in society. I believe 
God is calling us to greater things, to model the kingdom of God on earth. And wherever the kingdom of God is modeled, the world is changed just a little bit. So please, pray about it. Think about it. Let's give our time, our energy, and our money. Let's look at the Facebook. Please do feel free to go around there this morning or this afternoon after this service. They're going to open it up just so you can have a little peek in there. If you haven't seen it, go through. It's a space. It really is. But we'll turn it into a place where Jesus can reign. Let's have the worship team up. Would you please stand? Let's pray. Lord God, this four-year journey began with you. Just bring to mind that verse, Ephesians 3, 20 and 11, where you said that you're able to do far more than we can ask or imagine. Lord God, we pray, Lord God, that we would, we would begin to envision great things for you. And that, Lord God, you would help us to not just dream dreams, but be those who carry these things through. They're willing to take the pay the price to see that happen. Lord, I ask your blessing now upon us as we embark upon this whole new venture. Thank you for initiating this. Thank you for calling us in this. And thank you, Lord God, that you will complete this in and through us. And everyone said, Amen.